I'm just going to pray, and then we'll jump into this this morning. Yes, Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. We pray you would open our hearts to hear and to receive, that you would continue to grow us, Lord, as your disciples. And we thank you for uh, the reminders, even this morning, of what you have done in our lives and in our fellowship. We pray that you would continue to move and grow us in your name. Amen. So we're wrapping up. We've been doing a series on discipleship, and this is going to be our last uh, message on this theme of discipleship in Matthew before we shift gears as we head closer and closer to the summer. And I was thinking again about what discipleship is about. It really is about being a student or being a learner, someone who has a teacher, someone who's learning a certain way of life. And as Christian disciples, we would say we are students of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. We're learning the way of Jesus. This is the one that we're following. And this passage is part of a, if you look at chapter 10, if you have your Bible, if you look at chapter 10, it's a larger section about Jesus teaching his disciples several things. He's going to send them out, verses 5 to, to 15. He's planning to send them out. In verse 16 and onward, he talks about persecution. Uh, that disciples can expect a measure of persecution in their lives. And then in verse 26, he starts to talk about not having fear, that despite persecution in the Christian life, we can rest and trust that God has got us and we are in him. And then we get to this passage that we started in this morning, this section, starting in verse 34 to 38, talks about Jesus, and this is a weird a weird thing for Jesus to say, I think. I'm going to back us up to verse 34 and read part of this section. Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then, kind of given that ultimatum, he goes on in the last section to talk about rewards. That there's a benefit, there's something in store for those who do choose to follow Jesus. And so this passage is kind of nestled in a larger discipleship section. But at the end of the day, it's really about who does your ultimate allegiance belong to? At the end of the day, who's really the Lord of your life? And it's about giving Jesus that ultimate allegiance. And if we do that, if we give him that ultimate allegiance, Allegiance. It means that following Jesus to some degree will bring us into separation with other people. And that's kind of a difficult thing to say because we like to talk about how we, we enter into the love of Jesus, which brings us into reconciliation with all kinds of people. And it does. It does. But what do we do with Jesus' words here when he says, I don't come to bring peace, but a sword? And what do we do with the really hard word, take up your cross? Well, the first thing 
let's talk about the peace thing and the sword thing, then we'll talk about the cross thing. The first thing that I think of when Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace, is, yes, Jesus, you have. Don't say that. Isn't that what Christmas is all about, right? You think about the Isaiah passage and about wonderful counselor and everlasting father, prince of peace, right? Jesus, you're the peace bringer. What are you talking about? And yet when Jesus is talking about bringing peace, he means it in a very particular way. There's a particular way in which he brings his peace. We see it in his mighty words as he's teaching that it's bringing peace to people. And we see it, of course, in his mighty deeds as he's healing people. But we see it ultimately as he forgives people's sins. And then, of course, as he goes to the cross for our sin. That as Jesus goes and dies in our place, he is reconciling us to God so we can be at peace with him again. And that sense of shalom, of God making things right, not just of peace, but of sort of flourishing, of right relationship. That's what Jesus' heart is for us. That's what he means when he says that he is the Prince of Peace. But that sort of peace, a peace that sets us right with God, will naturally put us into separation with those who say we do not want that peace. I do not want that relationship with God. And so Jesus can say in one passage that he brings peace and is our peace, Isaiah, which is true. But we can also read a passage like this where Jesus is talking about discipleship and saying, I don't come to bring peace. I've actually come to brought a sword. Meaning, there will be division that happens when people come to Christ. Because as we give our ultimate allegiance to Jesus, it means we don't give our ultimate allegiance to something else. And that will make people upset. When we put Jesus first, it means not putting other things first in our lives. This is the ultimate way that God wants to bring his peace. I think again about just the basics of the gospel message that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is Romans 5.8. Jesus sets us free from that punishment of sin. And it's a, it's, a, it's a reality that if you've been in church for any length of time, it can start to sort of feel so common and so familiar that the power of it can kind of diminish. We're just so used to hearing that Jesus died for my sins. It's difficult sometimes. You need a, a, a bit of a fresh awakening to it once in a while that kind of helps prime the pump again of all that he's done for us. And sometimes like a conference like we've heard can help bring that back uh, to the forefronts of our minds. This week I was thinking about it's a common kind of gospel analogy, but sort of the analogy of the courtroom, right? Where our sins make us guilty and we're standing in the dock and the verdict's coming that we're guilty and we know we're guilty and the courts found us guilty and we're waiting for the judgment to come and the judge delivers the judgment and says, yes, you are guilty and here's everything that's going to happen to you because of that. And then the judge gets up and takes off his judge robes 
and comes and stands beside us and says, but I'm going to take that punishment on myself. That's what Jesus has done for us at the cross. He's taken the guilt that you and I bear because of our sin. And the word says that God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that he bears that price. And so he can go to the cross and die for our sins and the full power of sin and death can be drained on him. And he can take it and exhaust it and then come back to life having fully defeated it. And he's the one that invites you to come through death and out the other end. And because of that, we can give him ultimate allegiance. He is truly our Lord. And that requires some kind of response, right? Well, we turn to Jesus and trust in him and acknowledge our sin and understand that he's done that for us. And to live in light of that, will we be his disciples? That's how Jesus brings peace. But again, that's also how he brings a sword. There will be inevitable separation between those who believe in Christ and those who do not. Not because we don't want to love others, not because God doesn't love others, but because at, at the core of the person, there is a different sort of life that's being lived. One is a life lived for God and towards God, and one is a life that has rejected God and wants to live apart from him. And Jesus makes the, the, the analogy he uses in the text is that even in your own kind of like immediate biological family, this happens, right? Jesus himself lived that when his own family kind of pushed him off. and was like, he's being weird. We don't really want to associate with him. He's, he's running around saying he's God doing stuff. We're not really sure about it, right? So much so that Jesus says, well, who's actually my, who's actually my brothers and sisters? And he looks around at those that have also given their ultimate allegiance to God. And I think in the same way this happens in our lives as well. I mean, I think most of us, if we uh, are Christians this morning, if you're here and you've, you're following Jesus, there's probably someone in your family that has that, that, that choice that you've made to follow Jesus that's affected the relationship with them, um, potentially negatively, that, that for because you aren't who you used to be, because you've chosen to follow Jesus, they've responded to that in some way. And of course, that gives you the opportunity to, to share with them why you believe what you believe. Um, but deep down, it'll also cause some division, especially if they're not interested in why you've chosen to follow Jesus. And I remember a, a professor of mine in school said, often the most difficult pressures you'll face as a Christian will come from within your own family. Maybe not your immediate family, but potentially from your extended family as they come to grips with who you are. And we hear this in, in testimonies, especially in, in Middle East and in Turkey. Some of our, our missionaries over there who have said, you know, coming to Jesus and choosing him is, is a, a tremendous kind of heart-wrenching ordeal because if you choose Jesus, your family will you know, quite literally forsake you. They will write you off. You're no longer part of this family. We don't face that same kind of pressure here. Uh, but in many places they do. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. 
that choosing him will bring a sword and that it will bring division and can bring division between people. But Jesus also says that if we do choose him, it's going to be incredibly worth it. That it's okay. That it's going to be good. That there's life there for us. The central theme of this passage really is that in our hearts, our love for God and for his kingdom needs to take precedence over every other relationship in our lives. And so when Tanner says, the question is, how, how much do you know if you're going to heaven or not? And it's somewhere between 1 to 9 versus 10. If there's something in your life that has a deeper allegiance in your heart than Jesus, then that's something to address, right? And that's a problem. And that's why Jesus can say in pretty, pretty stunning words in verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What that's about is saying at the end of the day, my self-will and my self-interest, I'm going to lay those down. And I'm going to put God's will and God's interest first in my life, even if that means a cross. And that's the same sort of hum, uh, humility and, and grace that Jesus models for us, where he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. I'll lay this down and take up the cross, because at the end of the day, my life is about you, Jesus. And nothing else, and no one else. When we think of giving our allegiance to Jesus, there's a couple ways that we actually intend to do that really obviously. And one of them is through baptism. When we go into the waters, we're saying, we're declaring that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, that we've put our faith in him, and that we're identifying with him. As we go down, we're identifying with his death, and as we are raised again to new life, we're identifying with his resurrection. And in some traditions in the church, right, we usually call these ordinances, but in some traditions we're called, they're called sacraments, and that word sacrament can come from sacramentum, which can mean a sort of pledge or an oath uh, when there's uh, a military unit proclaiming their, their pledge of loyalty or their oath to the officer, especially in the Roman legion, it would be a sort of sacramentum that you're making, a pledge of loyalty to the senior officer or to the emperor. And so the church adopted similar language to say when we're being baptized, it is also like a pledge. It's also like a vow of saying, I give my allegiance ultimately, not to, not to the emperor and not to the senior officer, but I give that allegiance fully to Jesus. First Peter describes baptism a bit like that, like an oath or a vow from good conscience, from a right attitude. And so it's a pledge to say, Jesus, you're my king. And the Lord's Supper, sort of the other act that we have, right? We have a bath and then we have a meal. <laughs> this is what Jesus has given us. Do the bath and have, this, have the meal. And the meal is meant to be our regular renewal of that baptismal vow. It's regularly saying afresh, yes, my ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. Back in AD 112, there was a Roman governor 
His name was Pliny the Younger, and he wrote this letter to Emperor Trajan at the time. Pliny had arrested this group of Christians, and he was interrogating them, and he was asking them, what's going on in this meal that you have together? Why do you keep doing that? Why does that seem so important to you? And the Christians told them that when they gathered for this meal, it was a renewal of their vows to God to love Jesus and to live a holy life and to love each other. And so when we come to the table and when we go down in the water, both of those have this idea of commitment and then renewal of commitment to God. Both of those take us back to this passage, this verse 38, where we lay down ourselves and we take up the cross and follow him. And as we wrap up those thoughts, I had had a video that I was going to play this morning. I think, did we have that ready there, Nick? And this video, uh, it's one we've played before, but it does such a good job of talking about why Jesus came to die, why that matters, why that's so important, why that's so central how his blood atones for our sins. But then it also goes on to talk about how baptism and how communion are about renewing that commitment to God, about giving him ultimate allegiance in our lives as we take up our cross and follow him. So we're going to play that, and then I'm going to invite us to respond. And, and I want you to be, as we're watching this video and as we're heading towards the end of the service, to be asking, Lord, have I given you that ultimate allegiance in my life, or do I need to renew my allegiance to you? So let's watch that video. You can probably turn around the lights. Thanks, Nick. I was wondering, worship team, did you guys want to come up and just play a little bit while we kind of come near the end of our time together this morning? Two things I want to call us to. The first is that if you know Jesus and you've never been baptized, I really want to encourage you to consider being baptized. It's an act of obedience, of saying, I want to, I, I want to live my life, I want to give my ultimate allegiance to him. I want to follow him. And as you saw in that video, there's a great sort of visual representation of that going on uh, in the waters. And so I think uh, typically we'll have probably a baptism class at some point here over the summer, but if if you've never been baptized and you have questions or you're interested, I just invite you to come and talk to me. I'd love to connect with you and, and we can make plans to do that together. The other thing I want to call us to is simply this, this decision of, as disciples, making Jesus our, uh, the one to whom we give our ultimate allegiance. And so I'm going to invite us to stand. And if this morning, uh, just as the worship team plays, if you feel... Uh, Lord, I want to take a step this morning, maybe of, of just staying again. Jesus, I want to put my, my ultimate faith and my ultimate hope is in you. Maybe you're already a Christian this morning, but it's a matter of just saying, yes, I want to take that step of obedience. I'm going to invite you to come, and, and uh, we'd love to just pray with you. Maybe you've never given Jesus your ultimate allegiance. Then this morning you can do so. You can say, God, I want to live my life for you, no one else, you alone. And if that's you this morning, I also want to invite you to come to the front. And there's uh, Doug and Michelle would love to pray with you. Uh, there's others that would like to pray. Why don't you guys, those, Rob and Donna, you guys are on the prayer team. 
you guys want to be up and just available, uh, that would be great. And if there's anyone here, just as we sing together, if you want prayer, if you want to recommit your life to the Lord, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, or even if this morning you just want to say, uh, I, just, I just need to stay again. Lord, you are the one that has my ultimate allegiance. Then let's come together and pray for each other and do that. So let's, let's sing together. If you guys are okay to lead us in a song. Bless you guys. <laughs> 